0: Hello, my name's Tom Boone.
1: And I'm Joanna Bailey.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week.
1: Coming up today, Tom will discover how the wreckage of Transair 810 was recovered, while I see which iconic airplane took off, took off for the first time in two
0: years. I'll look at the UK's APD update and whether it will have any impact while Joe sees what's good about Breeze's new A220.
1: Finally, Tom will find out the fate of Emirates' very first Airbus A380.
0: So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I really wanted to start by talking about the transit uh, 737 that crashed into the Pacific Ocean off Hawaii, I think back in July, because um, it was quite an interesting one because, you know, they had the plane at the bottom of the ocean, but it seems that the NTSB has now actually recovered the um, pieces of the fuselage from the ocean floor. So it was resting Mm. on an ocean shelf between 350 to 450 feet from the surface of the ocean. So... Not in itself an easy task, but then you've got a picture that this plane isn't just like, you're not just picking up a box, you're picking up um, something that needs to be really carefully moved so it doesn't damage it any further and uh, all of this stuff. So it's quite interesting, but the NTSB has now got the pieces of the fuselage and the black boxes, and it turned out that getting all this was quite a multi-agency thing because there was... um, Everyone from the NTSB, the insurance providers, endangered species experts, and um, (laughs) a couple of uh, research vessels were roped in. So there was a research vessel called the Bold Horizon, which came. And that had a remotely operated underwater vehicle that could um, do the work uh, rather than sending divers down. Um, And then there was a barge, which they lifted the pieces of the plane onto. Cool. Um, so they started by just like finding the thing again and um, picking up some of the smaller parts. And this uh, little robot um, hoisted uh, between October 12th and October 17th, hoisted like smaller parts like the engines and the front landing gear assemblies. And they just went on to the research vessel Um, But then on October 18th, the boat returned with the barge and they recovered the front section of the fuselage, which was around 37 feet long and it weighed around 15,500 pounds, so 7,000 kilograms. They got that to shore on October 22nd, having fished it out on October 20th. And now comes the really tricky part of the recovery because the, all that's left is the aft fuselage. And there's sort of two reasons why recovering this from the ocean was tricky. Firstly, this part of the aircraft itself weighed around 48,500 pounds, but it still had four cargo containers um, secured in place in it. So that added an extra 12,000 pounds to the weight. But it was also a really... Bizarre shape to have to fish out of the water because the tails and wings were still attached, and obviously they didn't want that to come off uh while they pulled it out of the water, so that had to be done very carefully. They finally got it out of the ocean on October thirtieth and it looks like it didn't actually fit onto the barge um and I guess some of it was hanging over as it sailed back to shore but um you know certainly loads of interesting pictures on our website, so check them out if that's your thing mm-hmm. um now obviously the investigation into the accident can progress a lot more because they have the black boxes and they can investigate the fuselage and um like the fuselage doesn't all the pieces that they've recovered don't lie uh, whereas so far you know it's been um on like ATC accounts pilot accounts and so so um They're going to ferry the engines back to the U.S. mainland, and they're actually going on the barge because that's from the U.S. mainland, so it's going back anyway, so it makes sense to pop them on there. Yeah. Um, The black boxes are going to go to Washington where they'll be analysed, but the fuselage will remain in Hawaii because, I mean, it's not really easy to move that without breaking it up. I don't even think it would fit into the Antonov, (laughs) so… Yeah, the NTSB now anticipates that the investigation will be completed in 12 to 24 months. So I guess this is a real watch the space one and um, would definitely update more when they release the report on that.
1: Mm, Exciting. It was really cool to see it being pulled out onto the barge. I have to say those were some pretty cool pictures.
0: Yeah, they were great. I mean, um, if you like cool pictures, I mean, it's sad that the plane crashed and it's sad that the plane is in this state, but... They are really cool pictures. So if you yeah. want to see them, check them out. It's <laughs>
1: incredible. They recovered it, really. And uh, mm. I guess it was down to it resting on a shelf. If it had been much yeah. lower down in the sea, they wouldn't have been able to.
0: Yeah, and it was actually interesting because they didn't just recover the fuselage. They also recovered um, a fair bit of the cargo. And, and that I was led to believe that was because the insurance company of the airplane had to pay for it. So they thought, while we're down there. And we'll get all that stuff, and that's probably <laughs> I think maybe it was a bit more of a cleaning the ocean thing than recovering the cargo because after four months in um the sea, those Amazon packages are gonna be very soggy or other packages <laughs> from other box providers. <laughs>
1: Cool. (laughs) Well, I wanted to start today talking about an aircraft that people will probably know quite a bit about already. Um, Mm. So if I say Donald Trump, I guess the first aircraft that comes to mind is Air Force One. Um, Mm. But of course, before he was president, he made good use of a private Boeing 757. Um, so this carries the registration N757AF, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and it's not the most um, kind of uh, incognito way of getting around, let's say. It's got a, a very big T on the tail and the word Trump down its side. So it's not your usual kind of private jet that's mm. kind of all white and uh, and a bit kind of uh, incognito, inconspicuous, shall we say. Yeah. Um, but obviously when he took office Trump couldn't fly his private jet anymore he had to use the governmental aircraft including the VC-25As um, that we all know as Air Force One mm. um, so for a little while the 757 continued to work for the Trump organization doing flights for clients and things like that um, but in 2019 they parked it up at New York Stewart International which is uh, upstate uh, a small airport there um, and it's kind of been there ever since Um, so this was sort of early in 2019 so it's been well over two years almost three years that it's been parked there Um, and it was spotted with one of its engines missing and in desperate need of repair Um, Word on the street was that this N757AF needed a new engine to be found in order to make a trip to Lake Charles for essential maintenance before it could be used again. Um, Mm. Well, now the good news is that the engine seems to have been found because the aircraft took off from Stuart earlier this week. (laughs) Uh, So the first flight took off from Stuart just after midday on Monday. Um, And it appeared to be heading straight for Lake Charles, um, which the nearest airport is channeled International, CWF. Um, And it had been in the air for just over two hours when it looks like it had to make an unscheduled stop. So it was kind of passing Nashville to the south. um, Mm. And then it abruptly turned to the north and did a kind of loop around to head into Nashville International. Um, And somebody on Twitter kindly posted up a little snippet from Air Traffic Control Uh, that suggested Nashville was expecting an emergency landing inbound. Um, Precisely, they said, it looks like we have an emergency inbound, which is pretty clear, I think. Um, Mm. The aircraft landed safely at about half past one after two hours and 15 minutes in the air. Um, but whatever that emergency was, it clearly wasn't very severe because it didn't stay there for very long. It was just over an hour later that it took off again from Tennessee. And, and then after an hour and 16 minutes in the air, it touched down in Lake Charles Um And a local newspaper up there has got a statement off the the airport saying that the aircraft is being serviced at Channel by one of the aviation tenants and is there for an undetermined amount of time. So um, obviously it's getting all its bits and pieces fixed up and ready to go. Um, Mm. You know, Donald Trump's always said that the 757 would come back into service. Uh, there was a statement from him back in May that said it will soon be brought to a Louisiana service facility for the completion of work, inspection and updating of Rolls-Royce engines and a brand Mm. new paint job. When completed, it will be better than ever and again used at upcoming rallies. So uh, we could see... I wonder
0: if it's going to get his Air Force One paint job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's not too far off that already, really. Mm. I mean, yeah, it would be a slight makeover, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what he chooses for his new livery. And uh, Mm. yeah, we should see the 757 on the campaign trail again um maybe later this year we don't know um but Mm. yeah probably probably within the next couple of years
0: watch the space again (laughs) (laughs) it
1: will keep you posted
0: as always i wanted to talk a bit about um air passenger duty for uh flights in the uk and i mean i can hear a collective groan now because that sounds really boring Boring. actually it's it's not i it sounds boring but hear me out so last week uh, the Chancellor of the UK, Rishi Sunak, revealed that he was going to um, cut the APD in half for domestic flights. So I, you'll be pleased to hear that, Joe, because that's exactly what uh, Flybe wanted um, a year and a half ago, but just yeah, a, bit a bit too, too late. late
1: for them. <laughs>
0: um, so what it means is like, if you're flying on a domestic flight rather than um, paying twice the amount of APD that somebody flying to Germany and back would pay, um, they'll halve it each way. So you would pay the same amount overall. Well but, that
1: seems
0: fairer. Yeah. Definitely fairer. Um in a trade-off, um, ultra-long haul passengers are now gonna have to pay an extra seven um pounds in economy, um, or I think fourteen pounds maybe in um other classes of travel um when they're flying over five thousand five hundred miles. So what That's not i not found... I'd call ultra-long
1: haul, but you know Yeah,
0: well, I mean it's like sort of South Africa, Singapore, anything sort of past yeah. there. Um, what i found really interesting was that uh, sunak used the exact words we're also making changes to reduce carbon emissions from aviation uh, when announcing this increased ultra long haul rate mm. and i mean i can't really describe how i feel about that on the podcast without a load of beeps being placed into it <laughs> i think um, but you know i think the sort of the notion that this is going to tackle carbon emissions is ridiculous because A, you know, if you're paying, the difference between um, APD will be £84, um, say, for a normal flight or an extra £7 for flying ultra long haul. Firstly, it's not going to put people off travelling because what's £7 if you've already spent X amount on um, travelling? If you're going to Singapore, £7, you're not going to think, oh, I can't go because it's an extra £7, No, absolutely not. Exactly. Exactly. and so the notion that it's it can't cut emissions by putting people off travel as far as i'm concerned but then you could argue well maybe they'll spend the money on um like carbon projects but
1: exactly what they should be doing
0: it's exactly what they should be doing but they haven't you know history has shown that not i mean I went to the um, Airlines for Europe conference in March last year, and this was a hot topic, you know. Mm. Willie Walsh, who was then the CEO of IAG and is now Director General of IATA at the time, said IAG paid $967 million in air passenger duty in the UK last year, so 2019, and not a single cent of that money went on environmental research or environmental support. And, no. um O'Leary said similar things, saying they've sent four questions to the Treasury in the UK asking them to identify what, even one environmental project that this money's been spent on and they can't do that. Um, it's just a bit annoying. And what I found really interesting, actually, was that Walsh argued that by increasing the taxes, they're actually doing the opposite of helping the environment because that's now um, less money that the airlines can spend on new technologies, sustainable biofu- biofuels, and research and development, and all exactly. those sorts of things.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um,
0: so this eco tax, as uh, Sunak would like it to be known, <laughs> um, I, I just don't think it cuts the mustard in terms of its goals.
1: No, I mean, this is the issue with all so-called green taxes Mm. on aviation. You know, if you're going to take money off the airlines because they're polluters, which they are, then mm. put it into an environmental project worst. or subsidise staff or mm. build some infrastructure to make staff easier to access or yeah. you know, R&D into hydrogen, whatever it's going to be, use that mm. money. But it doesn't. It goes into the general government coffers and yep. gets spent along with the rest of the government's money. You know, It's mm. not kind of ring-fenced for anything that actually benefits aviation. Yep. Um, and and I mean, yeah, it makes aviation- me very cross as well
0: the thing with aviation is like aviation is one of the industries that is really really trying to bring down its emissions you know we're constantly hearing about safs and all this um and i think the feel like the general problem is when you see an airline engine turning you're very aware that carbon's coming out of the back of it whereas yeah. For other things, it's not so clear. And
1: Well, exactly. You switch your lights on and you, you heat your home and you don't yeah. necessarily make that connection with that big, yeah. dirty, coal-fired power station up the road. Hmm. But, uh, you know, there, there is a lot of work being done. And I think you know, it, we've got COP26 going on at the moment. Everybody's thinking about sustainability. And mm. it's very easy to point the finger at airlines and say they're the bad guys. But, you know, they they are trying their best and yeah. they are trying very hard on very thin profit margins mm. to make a difference. Um, but absolutely, you know, this is an easy win is to divert that tax money that all governments are taking off airlines. And some are even, yeah. ta- like you say, taking it off them under the guise of a green tax just put mm. that into something that's actually going to help them reduce their footprint. Simple yeah. mm. <laughs> rant over. <laughs> mm.
0: Well, speaking of reducing footprints, I guess you want to talk about, um, of, a- pretty sustainable aircraft next.
1: Well, I do. And before I do so, I will just plug our Future Flying Forum, which of course is now just uh, less than a week away, taking place mm. next Wednesday and Thursday. Um, you know, this is an event that is really open to everybody. I don't want people to think they've got to work in the industry or be particularly knowledgeable to enjoy it. We've made it yeah. as accessible as possible. And if you're I mean, interested... mean, basically,
0: if you're listening to this podcast, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. Um, you know, it's we've if you're interested in sustainability we've tried to build an agenda that really looks at the future of aviation you know we've we've got um a representative from neste to talk about saf um, zero aviera are confirmed to come along and talk about hydrogen um you know we've got various industry experts talking about carbon reduction sustainability how we make a change how we make the future work for aviation so you know, please do grab your boarding pass at futureflyingforum.com um, because mm. we'd love to see you there. Um, and like I say, it's it's open for all. Um, and one of the people I'm going to be speaking to at the Future Flying Forum on day two is uh, Mr. David Neeleman, who, of course, is a well-known well as a serial aviation kind of airline startup entrepreneur. Mm. Um, but his latest project, of course, is Breeze Airways, which took off earlier this year um, and has been doing some great things, you know, They've been connecting cities that were never connected before with direct flights. Um, And so far, they've been working just with the Embraer E195 um, as their backbone fleet. But um, last week, while I was not very well, (laughs) they unveiled their very first Airbus A220 Now, Breeze, of course, is the biggest customer of the A220 in the world. They've got a backlog of 80 to be delivered. um, And they're not going to be in service straight away. They're looking to go into service around Q2 2022. Um, But the first one has arrived, and um, our lovely um, North American journalist, Jay Singh, got to go and have a look at it. And it's cool. It's so nice. I mean, apart from Mm. the awesome livery, um, what was the biggest surprise was the interior configuration. It only Mm. Seats 126 passengers, which is light for an A22300. But this is because it has a very large premium cabin. Mm. Now, so far, Breeze has only really sold kind of your standard economy although they have sort of nice and nicer fares which is like extra legroom. now mm. they've revealed their nicest fare category um, which comes in the form of 36 premium seats in a 2-2 configuration um breeze has chosen the saffron seat z600 which are 20 and a half inches wide and offer a pitch of 39 inches so you know it's pretty much like a domestic first class product that you might find on american delta united for example um mm. And Basically, everything from the emergency exit forward is premium cabin. Um, And Mr. Neelerman has referred to this in the past as his play space. Um, So, you know, he's got some, well, I don't want to reveal too much because I do want to talk to him in person about this, but there's some really interesting ideas with how this front end of the aircraft can be used. Um, And of course, behind this is the nicer fare, which is the extra legroom seats. And then there's 80 nice fare standard economy seats at the back. They're both laid out in a 2-3 configuration um, and a saffron seats again, but kind of standard, you know, economy class seats, Mm. 18.8 inches wide. Um, The extra legroom seats have 33 inches of pitch, while standard have 30 to 31. So all very comfortable, you know, and you're, typical A220, nice and wide, nice nice big windows, you know, lovely and quiet. Um, and they've got, of course, in-seat power through AC and USB ports. Um, the economy cabin only has USB ports, mind. Um, mm. But uh, And of course, there's no seat-back entertainment screens, but Breeze is outfitting all of its A220s with Wi-Fi um, to allow for streaming on personal devices. And there's some nice handy sort of tablet holders and phone holders on the backs of the seats to allow mm. people to enjoy their favourite shows while they're on board. Um, And interestingly, Mr. Neelamon reaffirmed his interest in putting flatbed seats on the A220 and potentially Mm. targeting some pretty long haul international routes. Um, He reckons he can fit up to 21 lie flat seats with direct aisle access. Um, And, you know, with the A220 as it is, he could definitely go south. You know, Santiago, Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, for example, are all within reach um, from Tampa. And, you know, he can even make it to London, Lisbon, Paris or Madrid um, Mm. from that airport. Um, But what he's talking about is actually doing something rather interesting that would give it an extra bit of range. At the moment, it's at 3,400 nautical miles of range. But he reckons... Um, again, I don't want to give too much away, but he can get up to 4,000 miles out of it, mm. which would put a bunch more Western European destinations um, within reach. For example, Rome, Budapest, Vienna, Warsaw. Um, so, yeah, a really interesting plane. And I think, you know, when we do see it come into service, we're going to see a slew of very exciting route announcements announcements from Breeze, some of mm. which could be uh, quite close to us, Tom.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see on that. Um One thing that we don't have to wait and see on is our slightly bigger uh, Airbus cousin, the A380, which is sadly already on its way out. And I just wanted to really briefly um, chat about one after Summit stole my thunder last week um, (laughs) in your place. Um, And that's Emirates' first A380. So actually, they've already started um, tearing it apart in... um, dubai dubai world central airport and they've taken the tail off they've taken the gear off all of this stuff um but they're not just going to recycle it or throw it into landfill instead they've decided that they're going to um basically upcycle it and sell it so you know you could own they're even going to put the aircraft's bar in this so you could end up with the um emirates a 380 bar in your living room um or perhaps some business class chairs you know so um it's really exciting that they're doing this. They're doing it um, all in the UAE. So it's all staying within uh, Dubai as far as the work's going. And it's kind of a trend that's coming because, you know, Finnair, um earlier this year recycled an A319 in-house and now mm, Singapore is doing the same with two of their A380s. So it seems like the sort of in thing at the moment is to recycle your airplane in-house. Um, you know, they haven't, revealed any of the details of how the sales of the parts are going to work yet so this is really a watch this space thing because i'm sure most people hearing this are interested and we will of course share more details when we have them
1: absolutely great stuff thanks for that tom and uh, again do check out the site because there's some awesome pictures of that Mm. a380 being uh, recycled as they call it (laughs) or ripped apart Mm. as i like to call it (laughs) Well, I think that's about all we've got time for today. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com.
0: For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
0: Bye.